Merry Christmas. The season of Advent is over and Christmas has just begun. It is strange for many to hear that. Many people think that Christmas is over a few hours after the presents have been opened and the guests have left. But for those of us following the church's Christmas calendar, the 12 days of Christmas have barely just begun. The 12 days of Christmas will last until the 6th of January, the Feast of Epiphany, and between Christmas Day and Epiphany are a variety of days marking different important elements, important influences within the church. Yesterday was the Feast of St. Stephen. Stephen was both the first deacon of the church and the first martyr of will within the church. St. Stephen was martyred for being by being stoned to death for his service to the church and his unwavering faith. Tomorrow is the Feast of the Holy Innocents. The Feast of the Holy Innocents remembers the male children of Bethlehem killed by Herod in his attempt to kill Jesus while still an infant. All the babies of Bethlehem killed by Herod are considered martyrs because they were killed for Jesus' sake, even though they, in their infancy, were still unaware. Holy Innocence is a reminder that sometimes the innocent will die for the sake of others. In the case of the babies of Bethlehem, they died for Jesus just as Jesus will die for all humanity. And that brings us today, the day in between these other holidays. It is the Sunday of the Holy Family. And on a Sunday that is known among many as Low Attendance Sunday, due to being immediately after Christmas, I do intend to give a simple and brief message today. As we turn to our text from the second chapter of Luke, beginning in the 22nd verse, we see Joseph and Mary bringing Jesus into the temple so that Mary can be purified according to the Jewish custom and that Jesus could be consecrated to the Lord, being the firstborn. The scene for us today opens with a few points of importance that would have been obvious at the time, but are less so today. There was at that time, possibly still today, among the more conservative forms of Judaism, a law in force that required a woman who gave birth to be purified in the temple. There was also a law in place that the firstborn child had to be offered to the Lord. Therefore, what we have here is a situation where both Mary and Jesus had to be presented in the temple. Everybody reading Luke's gospel at the time would have understood these requirements. It was just a natural part of life. And it is also slightly mentioned in the writing of our gospel text so that we now, 2,000-ish years later, can understand it for ourselves, at least a little bit. What is not mentioned, and the people, of, people who were reading Luke's record of the gospel would have known and noticed as being absent, is that the firstborn could be redeemed. That is, bought back, so to speak, for a fee of five shekels. Luke records for us the purification offering for Mary, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, but makes no mention of Joseph and Mary having the five shekels for the redeeming of Jesus, the taking him back for their family purpose, rather than leaving him consecrated to the Lord for God's purpose. 
as it was customary to redeem your firstborn child for the family's sake, leaving Jesus to God's purpose stands out as Joseph and Mary knowing and accepting Jesus' divine role in God the Father's plan. This awareness on the part of Joseph and Mary that Jesus is the Lord's and is here for a unique redemptive purpose brings us to the introduction of Simeon. Simeon is described as a righteous and devout man who was promised to not see death until he saw the Messiah. Biblical scholars are of mixed opinion regarding the identity of Simeon. Some believe he was a priest. Some believe he was simply a pious layman. And some believe that his righteousness and devotion, marked by his ability to perceive what others could not, indicated that he was in some form a mystic. Which one of these is true will probably only be known for certain once we are in the kingdom of God. And at that point, it really won't matter to us anymore. But what we do know for certain is that God had uniquely blessed Simeon with the promise that he would not die until he saw the Messiah and that he was able to speak to the fullness of the implications of Jesus' purpose on earth. Let us look at that portion of our gospel text again. And Simeon, led by the Spirit, came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and Mary marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In saying these things, Simeon confirmed much of what was said in the Annunciation, what was told directly by the angel to Joseph in his dream, said by Elizabeth during the visitation, attested to by both the shepherds and the Magi while still in Bethlehem, and added one more thing of note, not mentioned by any of the others earlier. Let us review what has been said. First, Jesus will provide salvation to the world, Jew and Gentile alike. Second, powers that currently exist will fall and new powers will rise. Third, that he will be opposed. All of these things are known and expected to occur in the life of the promised Messiah, although the people did not know exactly how they would happen. Then Simeon adds that one more thing. Simeon turns to Mary and says, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The way it is phrased in the text cannot be ignored. The original text that Simeon said to Mary, And of you yourself also a sword will pierce through your own soul, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It is an emphatic statement directed straight to her. This added portion that Simeon includes is unique from what the others have said to Mary or Joseph. 
In making the comment, Simeon recognizes a role for Mary that the others have not. Others have only spoken about Jesus. Yes, there is, of course, the inclusion of Mary in her role in bringing Jesus into the world, but up until now, that is the extent of her role. Now we have Simeon saying, And Mary, of you yourself also, a sword will pierce through your own soul, so the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This verse has inspired some of the Marian imagery that we see in sacred and devotional art of a sword, sometimes swords, pointing at the heart of Mary, the heart being artistically symbolic of the soul. In this, we understand that Mary has an ongoing role beyond giving birth to Jesus, that she will suffer more than what is obvious in her watching her son, watching Jesus die upon the cross. It is more than that of a grieving mother. Mary's suffering will in some way be part of the revealing of the thoughts of many hearts, the thoughts of many souls. St. Ephraim the Syrian, who wrote primarily between 363 and 373, said that, And the sword piercing Mary's soul, the sword that guarded, guarded the Garden of Eden, blocking the ability to be in direct personal presence of God the Father, was removed. If that is a correct understanding, being in the direct personal presence of God will certainly reveal the thoughts of a person's heart, a person's soul. And our text for today then concludes... And Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Except in the very beginning, Joseph is not mentioned. And he's not mentioned again by name. Yet Joseph is raising Jesus, protecting Jesus in his younger years of human vulnerability, and preparing Jesus to be the man for the day that would come. This is a difficult part of how the Bible is written for us. We have Joseph, the earthly father, and God the Father, working in unison with each other so that Jesus would be strong, filled with wisdom, and receive the favor of God. We know it happened, but we have no description of it. It is a known, but yet largely unrecognized part of Jesus' story on earth. These different perspectives, roles, the level of recognition, they each give us an opportunity for us to look for where we are in God's story. Are we filling some role that is obvious, seen, and told by many? Is it a role that is less obvious, but once revealed, maybe recognized by just one or two, and then carry with it a heavy responsibility? It is something that is occurring in the background, unnamed and unrecognized by the masses, but absolutely essential. No matter where we fit in God's family, we can find inspiration in the Holy Family to take that role to its fullest. Find yourself. Find the one reflected in you. And take inspiration from our greatest examples. Amen.